in Pastor Manny failed to say about the candy is that the kid size comes for the kids and the eggs, but if you want to bless the staff, we certainly are open to the king size, okay? King size Kit Kats, king size, I don't know, Snickers, we can... Honestly, so I like Snickers a lot, but I like the original Snickers because with the king size, the ratio of chocolate to inside is a little off to me. Does anyone... Thank you, Dad. You're... <laughs> hey, good morning, everybody. How are you feeling? Everyone good? Yeah. It's great to be back in the house of the Lord. Hey, I'd like to open with a scripture that is quite familiar. I'm sure to most of us here at the Highlands, we, we, actually, we come back to it almost every week because we believe this brings focus to everything we do, everything we believe, everything we do, everything we see, and everything we are. And this is from Colossians chapter 1, the Christ hymn. And out of respect for the word, could I just have you stand with me? This is from Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. It says this, that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body, he is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you, who were once far from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. And this is it. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. This is the word of the Lord. Amen? All right, grab a seat. Grab a seat. I wasn't expecting you guys to recite it with me. Thank you. That's... Um, no, that's seriously a blessing for me. There's something that happens when we, like, so the scripture says that the word of the Lord never returns void, right? And so whether I'm saying it to you or you're saying it over me, I am blessed by your faith and your discipline and your ability to speak those, those encouraging words of truth back to me. What a gift that was. Okay, so listen, if you're just joining us, um, we have been hanging out in a pretty extensive Discussion, I would say, over the past few months called The Good Life, where we've looked to the scriptures and the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus for not only the best life can be this side of heaven, but also how we will get there. 
And we started in January talking about our schedule and how as God's people were to, to we were made to live like God, to structure our days like he did. And what did God do? He worked real hard. Then he stopped. He called it good and he chose to rest. God, who has no lack, chose to take a day off to look back and he did, and he existed in his goodness. And, and if he did it, so must we as his people. We must be a people of rest if we're to experience the good life with God. Now next, in the month of February, we talked about who we were made to be. We talked about stewardship, that God made us to be his stewards, carrying his image, his way of life, and his culture out into the world so all the world might know God through us in all things and at all times. February, I would say, was really about identity. It was doubling down on this, this reality that we exist internally to acknowledge that everything belongs to Jesus. Psalm 24 says that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He is the Lord. And if we want to live the good life with him, then we must be the stewards. This was February, which brought us up to March a couple weeks ago, as we've now shifted into a discussion about the good life of worship. That while we were made to be stewards, yes, we were also created as stewards to live faithful lives of worship back to God. And we defined worship from the scriptures and from the dictionary to be this. It'll be on the screen. It says that worship is the expression of allegiance, devotion, honor, and reverence to God from the position and posture of a servant. Worship is expressing with your life that God deserves everything in your life, that we are alive to honor Jesus. And this posture of bowing low before God, like the definition says, it comes with it a number of expressions, more than we'll cover in this series, but still a number of expressions. Now, what does this mean? It means that worship isn't just thinking about God. It isn't just believing in God or even singing to God like we just did at church, at a worship service. No, the worship that God wants from you is this holistic expression, overflow of your life back to him because of your allegiance because of your honor and devotion and reverence for him. Listen, worship comes out of you. It's what comes out of you. It's how you express your love for God from that position and posture of a servant. And, and the first expression that we covered last week um, was that a life of worship is a life praising God for who he is. Did anyone, did anyone this past week take a minute to just, to like, what was it, think thank and celebrate, right? That was our, our three things from last week. To think about God, the goodness of God, and thank him for his goodness, and then we bow low and we look up and we celebrate God for all he did. This was what we were talking about last week. It was one expression of how God wants us to worship him. We bow low, we look up, we celebrate what we see. That we would say back to God all the things that we think are amazing about him that we would think and thank and celebrate and acknowledge all the blessings we've received from him, remembering all of the, the amazing things he's done and thank him for all he promises to do. This is the sacrifice of praise that pleases the Lord and our first expression of worship. We praise God for who he is. Now, expression number two, with all that said, bring it all back around after quite a bit of context. Today, I, I, I'd like to talk about a second expression of worship that brings us to the good life with him. And today, I'd like to talk about 
authority. Yeah. And I know that sometimes when we hear things like authority, it can make us feel a bit claustrophobic or a little confining. I mean, our country, friends, was literally founded on rebelling against authority from England, right? And so, like, it's in us. It is in us to want to pave our own way and call our own shots in our independent postmodern culture. I mean, who really likes to be told what to do? Nobody. Who, who likes to be told how to live their life? Nobody, right? But for the past few years, God has really been working on me through this concept and, and really through one question, one that I believe he's planted in my heart and mind. And without sounding like too sensational or overly dramatic, listen, I truly believe that this question that God has given me is perhaps the most important question that you and I will ever have to answer with our lives, and that is simply, who is your authority? Who is your Authority. Now, why is this question such a big deal? And, and how does it connect to worship? I mean, we're here at church. What is this all about? Well, let's start with some definitions. So authority from the scriptures and the dictionary, again, is defined as this. It's, it's the power or right to control, command, determine, judge, or prohibit the actions of others. It's the power to make and enforce laws as accepted source of information. This is authority. So let me ask you again. Who is your authority? Who has the power? Who has the power in your life to control, to command, or to determine what's true or right or real? This is the question that I need to, you'd be simmering on for the rest of our time today. And I want you to know that everything and I mean, everything hinges on how you choose to answer this question. Who is your authority? Now, some of you might be thinking, well, pastor, that's kind of complicated, right? I mean, we have all sorts of authorities in our lives, from, from police officers to our bosses to pastors, politicians, teachers, and even our parents, right? Like, based on this definition, there are, there are all sorts of people and, and systems and structures of power that, that enforce laws and create cultural norms and determine what's permissible with our lives at home, at church, at work, in our relationships, with our families, with our bodies, in our country, and even in our world. I mean, it's complicated. And, and I get that. I mean, I, I experienced a real brush with authority just a few months ago um, <laughs> when I was at Starbucks. So check this out. We, it was like the first day of school. My boy was going into second grade. My daughter was going into kindergarten. And after drop-off, Rebecca and I were so fired up. Just like, I'm so excited. Like, wow, our kids are growing up. And so we pull into the lot at Starbucks off of uh, Foothill and Willoughby. You know that one that used to be a Burger King, maybe? Yeah, Don, thank you for the context. Wonderful. And so we pull in, and if you've ever been there between like 8 and 10, it is jam-packed all the time. And so we weren't, we weren't going to stay. We weren't even going to park. All we were going to do is just stop, run in, get our stuff, and then hit the road. But when we got into the parking lot, there was nowhere to park, right? Except there was this one spot that no one seemed to want. It was blue and had these dashed blue lines on it. And, and it said, no parking. But friends, I wasn't going to park. I was just going to stop, okay? 
And if you go and if you Google the difference between parking and stopping, you'll understand there's a real difference there. And so I pull into this spot, and there were some other like high schoolers hanging out in these other spots next to me. And Re Rebecca runs out, and again, it's crazy busy. And so I'm sitting there, just happy, just stopping. You know what I'm saying? Not parking, of course, because it's no parking. But it was stopping, and all of a sudden behind me, this like parking police officer from Glendale shows up and kind of boxes us in. And, um, and Becca's still inside, and I'm looking behind me, and I see him get out, and he kind of like does his flex, you know, and he gets his little computer out, and he starts looking at our license plates, and then he prints out the little thing, and he walks up to me and knocks on the door, and he said, he said, you know this, you can't, you can't park here. And I said, I was just stopping. And he said, you said, no parking. And listen, in that moment, it became abundantly clear that, that the parking police officer was my authority. And so I get that it's complicated, this question of who is your authority. Because in that moment, absolutely, he was. But, but here's the thing I want us to be thinking about and what I want us to process today. And I think what God has just been laying into me here is that if you keep following that thread of authority from the parking police officer up the org chart and, and you follow it from one authority to the next, to the next, to the next, you eventually reach the top. And you eventually reach the end of the road. And, and, and when you get there, the question is, who or what do you find? Who or what do you believe has the final say? for what is true and right and real for you and for the world. Now, some might say at the end of the road, like they follow that, that authority train all the way up and, and they come to the other and they're just like, man, ah, you know, the, the, the final authority, it, it's science. It's the laws of nature and the systems that hold the universe together. Some might say that it's philosophy and logic and reason and I think therefore I, I am. Some might say that it's justice or progress or love. All you need is love. Some might think it's the constitution or our government, or the president, or that cop who gave me a ticket. He was nice. But while others, friends, I would say, I would say even others, and, and maybe this is actually the most common when we think about final authority. I would say that if we're really honest, we would just say that the final authority is us. That it would be our emotions, and our opinions, our ambitions, and the pursuit of happiness, which, which brings us as a society to like 6.5 billion other final authorities who have the say of what's true and right and real. And where has that left us? It's left us in a world literally destroying itself within. Hardly sounds like the good life to me. Which is why I think God has been leading me to this, this question, remember this question, and inviting all of us into into this moment because in the end, the person or system that we acknowledge as our authority ultimately brings focus to everything in our lives, everything we believe, everything we do, and everything we are. It determines our reality, our identity, our actions, our intentions, our expressions. It, it determines what we believe is possible and also permissible. It affects everything. Our authority, why? It's because your final authority, here's it. Your authority makes the rules that you live by, and it builds the world that you live in. Your authority sets the parameters for what's true and right and real. It is your source and your starting point for all things. Authority is everything. But this means, this means that your final authority is also and must also be what you bow down to. 
and look up toward, what you commit your allegiance and devotion to, and I hope you're catching this, that your true authority for life and the one you actually worship with your life are one and the same. We can try to create all these varying levels of allegiance and devotion to multiple sources based on context of, of your life and your situation, different places. We can try to walk that line, but in the end, objectively, friends, there can only be one final authority in your life for what is true and right and real. And so just bringing it back to the beginning and the question that changed everything for me, I need you to think about this for just a second. Who is your authority really? And who is it that you worship with your life really? Not in theory, but in real life. Who do you worship? Because, friends, you're at church, and if you're a Christian, then this should probably be obvious, but if you're a Christian, then your final authority can be only found in Christ. And the good life that he's calling you to can, can really only be experienced when you worship him by submitting to his authority. And so let me just say this one more time. If you are a Christian, and I know that most of you are self-professed Christians here in this room, if you're a Christian, then your final authority can only be found in Jesus, and the best life can be, can only be experienced when you worship him by submitting to his way of life. Now, I know that most of this is probably pretty obvious. Some of you have been here for 60 years. Some of you have been here for, this is your first time. And so I, I know that most of this is pretty obvious. Still, it can be a lot to take in. And so for the time that we have left today, as we kind of unpack this expression of worship, submitting to the authority of God, I'd like to, I'd like to unpack it by addressing three key questions that will help us all step into the good life with God. And so I want to talk first about why does God have the authority? Why does God have the authority beyond maybe our cultural Christian assumptions? Second, I want to talk about why does God actually have the authority, what does God actually have the authority over in our lives? Or, or what does God actually want to speak into and guide us for and create direction for in our lives? And then third, I want to talk briefly about how we can learn to better submit to his lead, to his authority as an expression of worship back to him. So, if you're taking notes, we'll be starting with why, we'll hit what, and we'll end with how as we talk about submission to God's authority. Starting with why. Why does God have the final authority for what is true and right and real? Well, as, as Christians, again, as believers, everything we're talking about today comes back to our faith and our confession that Jesus is God. I know that there might be some people in here today that are like, this is so ridiculous. Why are we even talking about this? There might be some people just down the street that are like, this is absolute nonsense. But listen, I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to believers in this moment, okay? People of faith, people that have confessed that Jesus is God. Everything that we're talking about today comes down to our confession that he is Lord, we are stewards, and we are alive to honor him with every breath, okay? That we worship him with everything because we believe he is worthy. Amen, amen. But the question is, why do we think he is worthy? Worthy of our praise and worthy of our final say in all things, why? Good question, let me explain. So for the past 2,000 years, even though the church has had some you know, pretty interesting seasons of disagreement, to put it, Kindly, there have been a foundational position 
that accepted about Jesus and his supremacy. And it's this key theological distinctive that we see rooted in our scripture from Colossians 1. And this is where we find our why. This is where we find why does Jesus have authority. And so I just want to read a section of it back to you, and I just need to process this with me. Again, the most read scripture we have here at Highlands, it says this, that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and what's that word? Authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. Now this is the foundational understanding for who Jesus is. And somebody tell me, as people who have confessed this to be true, why does Jesus have authority first? Because he is God. Verse 15 says, he is the visible image of the invisible God. That's first. Second, why does he have authority? Second, it's because he existed before anything else was made. And he is supreme over all creation. Why? Because he made everything. And he holds everything together. He, see, he, he made the things we can see and the things we can't. He, made, he even made all the authorities, the lesser authorities in our lives, right? He created them as first and final. Everything was created through him and for him. This is our confession. And I love this from verse 17. It says that he, then he, he holds it all together, the systems the time, physics, chemistry, humanity, animals, oceans, mountains, kangaroos, cactus, whatever else. He's holding everything under his word and in his law. He holds it all together. And friends, this is our confession. Amen? Amen. And if that's not enough, verse 18 spells it out specifically just for you. He's saying that not only is Jesus the global authority of everything all the time for all time, oh yeah, he's also the head of the church. And who's the church? You are. That's you. That's why as Christians we believe historically but also in this present reality that Jesus is our final say for everything because God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. Now this is why, friends, there can be no deviation no secondary allegiance, no other name we bow down before in worship. Friends, we, ha we can have no other loyalty or final authority. It's only Jesus from here to eternity. He's the boss. He's the boss. He is the Lord of heaven and earth and still worthy to be king of our hearts. So that's why we as Christians believe that God has authority because he is the beginning and the end and he holds all things together. This is our confession. Now, I think we can get behind that in theory. Yeah, God, okay, we believe that God is real. He's good, all-powerful, made everything, got that. So, okay, yes, he does have authority over everything, but let's talk about what God wants to have authority over in you, in your life. This should be pretty obvious as well, the answer is, like it or not, that God wants to have authority over 
everything in your life. How's that feel? Ah, let's get there. He wants to have authority over everything, and he has the authority to say what's true in you, what's right for you, and what's real in your world. He has the authority to, to say what's real for every single part of creation and every minute detail of your life. This is the Christian confession. And again, you don't have to like it, but it is what you signed up for. You better read the fine print, everybody. Jesus has the power to say what is right and true and real and what isn't. Jesus has the power to say what love is and what love isn't. Jesus has the power to say how the world was made and what holds everything together, even if science hasn't caught up yet. This is the Christian confession. What else? Jesus has the power and the authority to tell you who you are and who you aren't. He has the power to tell you how to live in every area. He has the power and the authority to, to speak into you how to spend your money, how to vote, how to engage with your neighbors, how to see your career and your family, how much you should drink, how much you shouldn't, how fast you should drive, and how you shouldn't park in that blue spot at the Starbucks with all the little blue dashes, okay? Jesus has the right. He has the authority to call things sin, and he does. He has the power to say what's permissible, what's beneficial, and also what's prohibited. It's all within his scope of control and influence. As he calls you from Matthew 11, come to me. Let me show you the good life. Take my way upon you. Come to me. Your confession of faith that saved you, and I just need you to think, did I make a confession of faith? Do I believe this stuff? This, think about this. Your confession of faith that saved you by his grace says that Jesus is now in charge of your life. That, you, that who you once were is now dead and gone, but now you are alive as a new creation in his name with his power to live on his behalf in all things. To take up your cross and to follow him everywhere, all the time. And, and friends, this is what God actually has authority over in our lives. According to our faith, this isn't just modern nonsense. This is 2,000 years of shared legacy and shared obedience and, and faithfulness. 2,000 years this has been shared. And, and, and our faith says that God has the authority over everything. And this means, again, just in case anyone's looking for, uh, like, maybe a loophole like I did in the parking lot. Listen, God has the authority over your schedule. Jesus has authority over your diet and the food you eat. Jesus has authority over your budget, your love, your identity, your sexuality, your work ethic, your internet history. Jesus has authority over your doubt, your fear, your hopes, your struggles, your dreams, and everything in between. Because, Colossians 1, he is supreme over all things. And he says that it's worship to him when you choose to acknowledge his power. It's worship to him when you choose to submit to his authority. In what? Everything. Everything. Now, everybody just take a minute, do a little internal audit here. How, how's that going for you? Worshiping him by submitting your entire life to the authority of God. How's it going? Because I tell you what, 
This is without a doubt the hardest part about being a human being. Because just like Adam and Eve, there is something in us that so often thinks we know better than God, right? Like we have this better understanding of what we need than the one who made us to need him. And if you, if you just take a minute to step out of yourself, it's almost laughable to think that we could ever be the final authority for what's true and real and right when we can barely manage to control our emotions. Still we try, don't we? And even after hearing all of this about God and being reminded of our confession about Christ, even after this crash course of why Jesus is the best and worthy of our worship, I tell you what, in the next week, all of us, all of us will turn our eyes back to ourselves for what's next. At some point in the next week, all of us will abandon our confession, even for, for a moment. It'll happen. And so what can we do? Because we want, I know you want to stay faithful. I know you want to stay true to your confession. I know you do. So how can we? How can we, you and me, begin to really worship God with everything by choosing to follow his way in a world that's competing and constantly begging for our attention? How can we submit to his authority? Well, follow me back to Colossians 1 one more time. We're, we're getting close to the end here. Starting in verse 9, it says this. It says, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Verse 21. This includes you. So listen up. You who were once far away from God, you were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. I wonder how many of you feel holy and blameless today. But you, verse 23, must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. Friends, if you want to grow in the good life with God, which I know you do, I do too, by worshiping him with all of your heart and all of your allegiance, your shift in authority is found in verse 23. It says two things. It says this. You must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. We're going to break this down in just a second, but two things. You must continue to believe the truth and stand firmly in it. Now, what truth are we talking about from verse 23? The truth is this, that, that, that God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and that he, Christ, chose to make peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of his sacrifice on the cross. And, and, and in heaven and on earth, this includes you. From verse 21, this is the truth. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemy. You were separated from him by your behavior, by your evil thoughts and actions, it says. This is the truth, but, but it's not the whole truth. Because now, if you have given your life to Jesus, he has reconciled you to himself. Through Christ, once you were dead, but now you are alive. Once you were his enemy, but now you stand before God without a single fault. And this is, the, this is the truth, the whole truth. Summed up as this, God is good, you weren't, but now he made you good to live through Christ the good life on his behalf. God is good, you weren't, but he made you good to live like Jesus 
and experience the good life on his behalf. Do you believe it, friends? Believe this truth. Then verse 23, you must continue if you want to be true to your confession that he is the Lord and you are the steward, alive to worship God with everything. You must continue to believe the truth and then stand firm in it. Now, how does this play out? Another two-parter, here we go. We need to come back to the truth and we need to kick out the lies. Say that with me real quick. Come back to the truth and kick out the lies. Let's dig into this real quick. You need to come back to the truth. What truth? The truth of who you are, who God is. The truth we read in Colossians 1 of what God has done and God expects. You gotta come back to it every single day. How do you come back to the truth? Oh, pastor, how in the world could I ever come back to the truth? Ah, two big things. Come to church, y'all, okay? Come back to the truth. And then read your Bible. Open your Bibles. Read about who God is. Experience the truth in his word. I am blown away by one of our guys named Stephen. Every time I see Stephen, he has his Bible open. Every time. And he is just cruising through even the boring stuff of the Old Testament. Don't quote me on that, okay? <laughs> it's not boring. It's, it's the inspired word of God. But you know, sometimes you get to like the middle of Isaiah and you're like, what is happening right now? Leviticus? Never mind. Don, don't. We'll talk about it later, Don, okay? But if you want to come back to truth, and you got to get back to church. And you need to open your Bible. Read about what God promises to you. Come back to the truth. And then here's the thing. Lay your lifestyle. Yeah, lay your lifestyle, your beliefs, your convictions over the top of the scriptures and see what you find. If there are any differences, friends, you know what you got to do to be faithful. There's no sugarcoating this, and this is hard. I get it. But when you do, when you come back to the truth and lay your lifestyle and submit your lifestyle to the truth of the scriptures. Friends, it is only there that you will ever begin to find the good life. So come back to the truth every single day if you want to believe the good news. Second, you got to kick out the lies. And this one is fun. Um, come back to the truth, kick out the lies. Lies about what? Lies about everything the world is trying to sell you. Lies about you being more important than God. Lies about how you are entitled to your own pursuit of happiness instead of the kingdom of God. Lies about love and success and identity. Lies about what you deserve. And even lies about God. You gotta kick them out of your life. Friends, if you get those lies online, shut it down. If you get those lies uh, in the news, then shut it down. On social media, shut it down. In relationships, shut them down. If you wanna be faithful, if you wanna be faithful to your final authority, who is Christ, and you know this is true, then you got to kick out the lies. I don't care how good they sound. I don't care how, how they enable you and give you justification to do what you want or find pleasure or meaning or purpose. If they are outside the way of Jesus, who is in charge, then these lies, they got to go. They got to go. And, 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 and that's it. It's simple. It's not foolproof. It's not easy. It's not a quick fix but it is the only way you'll be able to live true to your confession and worship God for who he really is. You've got to come back to the truth every single day. Prioritize time with God. Prioritize time hearing what's real and hearing what's good. I know some of you, y'all, I know that you love this church, but you're here like once a month. Just, you know, I don't... I don't have like a star chart anywhere, but maybe I'll start giving candy bars out for like a month-long attendance or something. 
Not the, not the king size Snickers, though, because that's the, the ratio is all off, right? But, y'all, sometimes you're wondering, like, man, why am I held back so much? Why aren't I living faithful? Maybe it's because you aren't at church. Maybe it's because you aren't in your Bible. Maybe you aren't with, with people that want to encourage you in this crazy journey of faith with God. You need to be surrounded by people who echo your authority, that is Jesus. Otherwise, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Thanks, Dad, again for clapping. I love this. <laughs> no, but for real, like, what's going to happen? We are dragged down by our people, or we're lifted up. If you want to have a more holistically healthy worship lifestyle for you and your family, then you got to get back to the truth. Wherever you can find the truth of God, podcasts, worshiping in your car, listening to sermons, but get to church, be here, open your Bibles, listen to Bible on pod, whatever online, whatever it is, get the truth of God into you so you can kick out the lies. And so listen, as we, as we wrap this up today, I just wanna circle back to that, that first question, and I would say the most important question we'll ever have to answer because it is the beginning. It is the source for everything we do. And I really want you to think about this. Who is your authority? Who will you worship with your life? Who do you believe is worthy of your devotion and deserving of your submission? Because our confession, friends, as the church for more than 2,000 years, it says there can be only one. And I believe God, even now, is inviting you and me to bow down before him again, to bow before his way, his truth, so you might experience the best life can be, so you can experience the good life with him. And I, and I know this is, I know this is tough. I know how hard it is to hand over control because we've all been burned by lesser authorities. We have. We've all gotten caught or reprimanded or punished in parking lots for parking and decisions we've made, okay? It's scary. It can be scary to bow down before someone and say you're in charge. It is, but let me remind you one more time of who it is that we bow before as Christians. Our God is not a tyrant. Our God is not abusive. Our God does not hold you back for his own pleasure. We worship a God who created us to be like him. We worship a God who loves us so much that he literally came to earth as one of us to die for us once and for all. So we might be made right for all eternity. There is no flex here. There is only love. And in response, all he's asking from us, Matthew chapter 11, is to follow him to live like him in his way. Why? Because he knows what's best for you. He knows the way to the good life. And, and I don't know about you, but that's an authority I can get behind. That's an authority that I can bow down before. That is a God that I can trust. But what about you? Because this is ultimately your decision. I mean, you chose to, no one dragged you here. You decided to come here. You prioritized this over brunch and the beach, okay? And I'm so grateful because the word never returns void. God is planting a seed in your heart even now. But what about you? This is your decision 
to worship by submitting your life to him. It's your decision to bow low before his authority and follow his way. I can't do that for you. I'm just saying that his way is the only way to peace. His way is the only way to contentment and joy and purpose. His way is the only way to the good life in all things, and, I, and I'm here for it. But what about you? So I'm gonna pray courage over you as we go. I just wanna let this question kind of simmer in your brain for the rest of the week, and uh, next week we're gonna wrap up this conversation about worship as we talk about joining his mission in worship. But we can't do that unless we first bow low. We can't do that unless we first recognize who he is and, and worship him for who he is, right? And, and, and we can't do that unless we first acknowledge that he is in control, that it's, it's his world and we're just living here. He is the Lord. We are the stewards. Amen? So I just want to pray for you, and then we're, we're going to hit the road. Thanks for listening. Jesus, we're so grateful that you are a good, a good God. God, we're so grateful that you love us and you lead to peace. We're so grateful that you are who you say you are, that you're steady and you're consistent and you're defined by love and mercy and compassion. Jesus, we're so grateful that following you doesn't mean like jumping off the side of a cliff or like self-hurt or any of that crazy stuff that, that the world is trying to lead us into, God. Like we're so grateful that, that your way is a way that only brings us to greater satisfaction and joy and peace, the good life, God. And we're so grateful, Matthew 11, that you say, come to me. You don't have to figure out by yourself. Just come to me and I will show you how to get there. And so today, God, we are bowing low before you. We come before you and we acknowledge who you are. We praise you for who you are and we acknowledge your authority in the world. God, in this moment, we ask that you'd help us believe what is true and stand firm in what we've received. God, that we wouldn't drift from the good news, but God, that we would stand firm and anchor ourselves in your way, in your truth, and in your life. So God, we are, we are here, and some of us are here from different places and different perspectives and different lifestyles and all this different stuff that we bring to the conversation. And, and God, I, I, want, I want everyone to hear this with clarity, that you are good and you're, you are in charge. And God, it's up to us on how we respond to that. And so God, I ask that you would just lay heavy on us right now. No matter what we brought in today, whatever baggage we brought in, whatever celebrations we brought in, God, that we would just, that we would trust that you are good and that you will lead us where we need to go. And that your way is best, even if we don't always understand it. So God, help us correct our perspectives. Help us correct our posture today. That we would bow low before you. And that we would honor you with our life. So God, we love you and we thank you for today. Again, just let this word from Colossians chapter 1 just plant seeds in us that would grow to greater faith in this next week. As we choose to remember what's true, believe what's true, and stand firm and what we've been taught. So Jesus, we love you. It's in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening, everybody. Love you guys. Have an awesome Sunday. What you doing? No one go to Starbucks, okay? Stay out of the Starbucks lot. But uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks.